Thank you, Joan. Today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, Pentecost, Penta in Greek is the uh, word for 50. And so 50 days after Easter is the time that we remember the giving of the Holy Spirit to all people on Pentecost. Uh, We may go to uh, the second chapter of Acts and remember that wonderful day. But this also is a a passage uh, in the lexicon about Pentecost and the giving of the Spirit. We read today from Numbers 11, beginning in the 16th verse. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their offices, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take the Spirit who is upon you and will put him upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Say to the people, Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, nor two days, nor five days, nor ten, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat, so they, shall, so they may eat meat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them, to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them, to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people and the words of the Lord. Also he gathered 70 men of the elders and the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And he took of the spirit who was upon them and placed upon him upon the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied. But they did not do it again. But the two men who had remained in the camp, the name of one was Eldad and the name of the other Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses, from his youth said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, how blessed we are. In every respect, you have blessed us beyond measure. 
You have provided, you have loved, and above all, you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we might be whole, that we might live with you, that we might have an eternity of hope. We come humbly before you, thanking you for everything that you have and everything that you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would rest upon us today. Begin by showing us any ways that we have fallen short and cleanse us so that we might be pleasing to you. We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to speak to our spirit, to be our teacher, to guide us, to encourage us, so that we might be about your good work. We love you. We acknowledge that our love is so small and frail compared to yours. But today we offer ourselves. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I read this passage, the first thought that came to my mind is nobody's happy. Not one person is happy. And you know, it's not just this passage. I went to a, a commentator looking for an outline, and this is what I found. Numbers 11 through 25. Let that sink in just a second. Numbers 11 through 25 was identified as rebellion and judgment of a fearful people. Fifteen chapters of fear and rebellion. I, in this section alone, I counted nine times where the people are in open rebellion against Moses, and, and a few times where Moses' life is threatened. And five times they grumble in a way that I find very difficult to listen to. Here's my summary of it. This is... This, hello. Here's my summary of the way that they grumbled against Moses. Oh, Moses, this is hard to hear. Oh, Moses, we were so much better off back in Egypt. Hmm, 11.5. We remember the fish we used to eat here free in Egypt. As if the, it was as if the fish just jumped into the boat. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. So let's just turn back and go back to Egypt because we were so much better off there. You mean back in Egypt where you stomped in the mud to make bricks? You mean back in Egypt where you were beaten with whips? Where you were slaves without freedom, without dignity, without a destiny, without your own land? You mean that Egypt where you came from, nine times they grumble and they enter into open revolt. And I got to tell you, man, it was tempting not to just to name the sermon this, nobody's happy. The people are grumbling against Moses in an open revolt against him. Moses in turn turns to God and he says, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? The people are grumbling to Moses. Moses is grumbling to God. And it kind of seems disrespectful to say that God is grumbling, but he's not happy. And I can tell that clearly 
Numbers 11.1, 1. Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned. And I'm not talking about kind of a metaphorical, ooh, I'm not happy. It literally burned among and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Taborah because the fire of the Lord burned against them. Is it safe to say that God does not desire grumbling amongst his people? I will tell you this, though. Doesn't it seem like it's the right of every Christian in the contemporary church? It, doesn't it seem like this is one of those sins that we kind of tolerate Maybe some of those other sins are worse, but grumbling, not that big a deal. God brought down fire because of the grumbling. What went wrong here? What, what can we learn from this passage? Let's start with Moses, because there's something very wrong here in Moses' attitude, in his spirit. Moses 11, so Moses said to the Lord, why have you been so hard on your servant why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Read that. And he continues on, verse 14. Listen, I am alone, I am alone, am not able to carry all this people. I alone am not able to carry all this people because it is too burdensome for me. Listen, this is amazing. So if you are going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. Wow. Just kill me. Things have gotten bad. Critically bad. When I was in seminary, I was serving in, uh, as a deacon in a, in, a, in a church, Pitts Baptist Church in Concord, North Carolina. Loved the church, loved the pastor. And I was so thankful to have a pastor that I could go to as I was studying to, 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 to be a pastor. And he was wonderful. I had lots of questions, and he was very kind to, to answer all of them. And I went in to, to have one of our meetings, and, and, uh, and uh, I, I looked at him and was just sat down and started. And I could just tell that he was really, he was really down. And so I asked his name, Scott. I said, Scott, what's wrong? And he said, oh, you know, I just got back from visiting one of my pastor friends. And I went into his office to visit him. And I, I, found, him, I found him with his head down on his desk. And, and, and when I came in, he lifted up. And he was just crying. And Scott said to, to his friend, what's wrong? And this pastor, he said, I feel I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. You ever felt like that? I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. And interestingly, my, my pastor, Scott, he kind of said that with some awe and respect and kind of admiring the level of dedication of the pastor. And I didn't say anything because I hadn't served one day as a pastor in my life, but here's what I thought. I thought, the weight of the world was never intended to be on his shoulders. Right? The weight of the world is never intended to be on my shoulders or, 
or, or your shoulders. And surely we want to pray faithfully. We want to pray fervently. We want to love our church. We want to share the gospel. We want to do it all passionately. I, I remember the greatest desire of my life was to be able to, to write great sermons, and, or at least as good as I knew how, and, 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 and to work really hard. But listen to me now. It was never God's intent for us to feel like we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. Sometimes the world kind of admires you for that. Oh, look how much he cares. Look how much she cares. Look how dedicated. Yeah, that's great. It's good to work hard. It's important. But we are never intended to carry the weight on our shoulders. Moses said to God, you have laid the burden of all this people on me. And, and no, he hadn't. It was a big job, and no doubt it was exhausting at times, but being exhausted is okay. But to have this attitude, I alone am not able to carry all this people, and as if God is saying, I never, I never asked you to. In fact, it kind of shows a lack of faith or an understanding of who I am and who God is. This is how God actually responds. The Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true or not. The burden and the responsibility of this world, and especially for God's children, is God. And his shoulders are big enough. Now listen, when I just asked that question, have you ever felt like the burden of the weight of the world is on your shoulders? I saw a lot of heads go up and down. It's a lesson I still need to learn sometimes. But I just want to remember the words, is the Lord's power limited? And you know what? Listen, if you're one of those people that every once in a while it feels like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, you remember those words. You think back on this moment, the next time it happens, next time you're just about at the point of tears, is the Lord's power limited? Let God be God. And then you and I, we can rest in that. Amen? Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I was thinking this week about the, you know, the, the search committee. I'm so thankful for them. I'm thankful for them. And uh, I, I know I, I haven't worked with them, talked with them, don't know where they are in the process, but I, I kind of sense sometimes that they feel like the weight of the world is on them. Maybe sometimes, you know, the, the, the congregation feels like, well, you know, I want to know what's going on. I, I well, they're going to keep you informed. 
But if you feel like criticizing or grumbling, just, just stop. When you feel that coming up inside you, just stop and pray for them. Pray for your church. Let God be God. I know sometimes the committee, you know, it's a big responsibility. Can you, can you imagine? Some of you can. You've, you've, you've been on search committees, right? They want to get it just right. So pray. And trust God. There's exciting times ahead. There's times full of blessing ahead. And in his good time, he's going to make all things work together for the good. Amen? And let me just tell you, too, Belinda said it so right. And no one's happy in this passage, right? Because we're just not built for that. If you, if, no one is happy when they're grumbling. No one is happy. And it, it isn't an acceptable sin. It shows an incredible lack of faith in God when we grumble. Is God not in control? No one would dare say that, and yet we grumble. That was Moses' mistake. He was trying to carry more than he was ever designed to. I can't carry all these people God never asked you to. Just be faithful to the things that he's asked you to do and let him take care of the rest. That was Moses' mistake. What was the mistake of the people that resulted in their grumbling? Exodus 17.3 But the people thirsted for, for water and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children? Wow. What's their mistake? I think there's several. I think clearly from their own words over these 15 chapters, I think some of them are idolizing the past, don't you? I mean, really? It was so much better back in Egypt when we were getting beaten? The fish were just jumping into the boat? Our lives were so much better? The, the tendency, I think it's just part of, uh, of human nature that we kind of look fondly back on the past. I, I think even the contemporary church, we, we kind of say, man, the 60s and the 70s, that was really a golden age for our, for our country. Was it? Because I remember the Vietnam War, and I remember uh, a cultural crisis like really nothing we've ever seen before or since. I remember a drug culture that just exploded. And maybe the past isn't quite as good as they thought. I, I think the second thing is they'd forgotten the faithfulness and the power of God who delivered them through the past, from the past. Can, can, you, can you imagine seeing the ten plagues? What's the plague that you find most impressive? I mean, they're all pretty supernatural and amazing. The one that kind of shocks me, though, is the one where all of Egypt, all of Egypt is covered in darkness except for where the Israelites were. I'd kind of like to see that. What does that say about God? Nothing is too hard for him. Can you imagine walking across the Red Sea on dry ground? Can you imagine looking at walls of water on both sides? And wouldn't you whisper, oh God, there is no one like you. 
And we fast forward, we turn the page, not very uh, much time later, and what are they doing? Oh, Moses, why did you bring us here to die? Why do you think of all of the times that God has delivered you in the past that now he is going to change and not deliver you again? Number three, I think there's some blaming God for their own failings and uh, their own disobedience. There's some impatience. But above all, as I, as I read this commentary on this passage, it seems to me that the, the key source, the chief cause of their grumbling is fear, not faith, but fear and unbelief. As I read this, this story of the, uh, of the great failure of God, it seems to me to be a warning to us, isn't it? I mean, isn't that the purpose of the scriptures, to teach us so that we don't have to go through the same pain, walk through the same wilderness of those that went before us? And I began to wonder, I was laying in bed earlier this week, and I began to wonder to myself, if that was the wrong way, and clearly it's the wrong way, when God sends fire to burn the edges of the community, when he sends snakes to, 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 to punish the people for their continual disobedience and grumbling. That's the wrong way, right? I mean, that's pretty clear. There is no doubt. So, so we want to know then what is the right way, right? What's the, what's the right response? And, and you might think my answer is idealistic. I, I don't think it is at all. What if instead of the people grumbling in the dark, the, the people said something to Moses like this? Moses, we are uncertain and scared of the future. We don't know where we're going. This land is brutally harsh. We're trying to take care of our families. We've been through a lot already, and we are scared. What if Moses responded to the people? Me too. Because he was. He would say something like, you know, I never really wanted this job. I never really thought I was up to it. And now I'm leading a million people over a harsh wilderness. And it's overwhelming to me, and I'm scared too. Moses, what should we do? Moses to the people. Let's gather and pray. Let, let's gather and pray as one people. Listen, as one family of faith, not different groups, as one people all on the same side, let's gather and pray and be honest before God. And let's remember that he's been faithful every step of the way. So there's no reason to think he won't continue to be. Let's, let's pray. Now listen. Listen. You listening? Considering what you know about God, from what you've read in the scriptures over decades, from what you've experienced in your own life, how do you think God would have responded to 
to such a moment. Moses, let's gather to pray. Moses to the people, let's gather to pray. What do you think God's response would have been? Don't you think he would have absolutely blessed the people more than they possibly could have imagined? Don't you think because he is the good father that he's going to pour blessings into their life? Don't you think that that kind of attitude, we are one people, we are your people, we have gathered here to honor you, we're not bickering, we're not grumbling, we just want to know your good will. Don't you think that God would have poured blessings so amazing out on his people? Don't you think that he would have knocked decades across the, off the wilderness journey? Instead of 40 years, maybe they wouldn't have had to do it at all if they had jumped together realizing that they were one body of faith, cut the grumbling, and start just to honor God in their thoughts and their words and their actions. I don't think that's idealistic. I think that's biblical faith. Well, enough about Moses. Is there grumbling in the contemporary church? It's almost silly to ask the question. Why, why, do you, why do people grumble? I think some of the same reasons, if you didn't pick up on that already, idealizing the past, forgetting the faithfulness and the power of God, impatience, fear, unbelief. Sometimes I think grumbling comes from people don't feeling, feel like they're being heard, and I, and I understand that. And we want everyone to be heard truthfully. But it's impossible in a diverse group of people for everyone to get kind of their own way. Here's the thing. If the family of God gathered together and prayed, Lord, not our will, but yours be done in the congregation. And we're, we're going to sit here and we're going to continue to pray until we feel your wisdom and your guidance. Don't you think the Spirit would pour out wisdom and somewhere between all of the voices and all of the opinions that we could have unity in a church? Find his goodwill? I absolutely believe it to be. I came across an article this week by John Beeson. He wrote it in the Gospel Coalition, and, and he said this. Listen, see if this strikes true to you. When we grumble... We declare our distrust in God's sovereign rule over our lives. We say to him, not good enough. Grumbling is not a minor sin. To grumble is to leak darkness when we were made to shine. Like a black pin leaking in the pocket of a white shirt, grumblers tend to soil every environment they enter. But Christians are being transformed to shine. You are bleach, not ink. Isn't that rich? The Apostle Paul agrees in Philippians 2. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Grumbling in our culture in social media, it just seems to be like a First Amendment right, but it should not be within the walls of the church. 
And as I thought about it, I just came to the conclusion that grumbling is never, ever an appropriate response. Our sermon passage ends with an interesting exchange between Joshua and Moses. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Listen, here's his prayer. Here's my prayer for all of us today. Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. You see, Joshua kind of took it as a personal affront. Moses, they're... They're not respecting your leadership. Now, that wasn't the case. Maybe Joshua was thinking, there's not enough spirit to go around. You know, if you... No, that wasn't the case either. In fact, on this Pentecost Sunday, we're reminded that the spirit has been poured out on all believers, right? Not just a select few. And we believe that the Spirit poured out upon us will teach us and guide us and unify us so that we not, might not grumble and be divided in the dark but united in the light. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, to glorify our God who is worthy. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord, we need you. I truly believe, as I have seen over the last 40 years of being in churches, grumbling just is. We accept it. We participate in it. And by the power of your spirit, we pray, Lord, that you would convict us if guilty, forgive us, and help us truly to repent, to turn away from it. Because we trust in you. We know, Father, that you make all things work together. We believe it. And where we have failed, help us to learn so that we could be united in your spirit, guided in your wisdom so that we might feel not unhappiness and the the depression that can come from grumbling, but the joy that we can have from the peace of trusting in you. You are God, and we are your children, and we will trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we uh, have this one last opportunity, we, we just hope that you'll make the most of it. Maybe somehow the Spirit has spoken to you. Maybe you just need to come to the altar and pray for a friend, a family member. Or maybe you know that this is the place where God has called you to worship and to serve Him. Whatever it is, as we sing this one last song, let's worship Him not only with our voice, but with our hearts. Would you lead us, Scott?